Hey everyone, welcome to the Alopecia Project. This is the podcast that explores the world of alopecia through conversations about the ups, the downs, and the everydays of hair loss. I'm Sarah A, and we have Sarah M with us. Hey everyone. How's it going, Sarah? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Sarah A? Very, very good, Sarah M. (laughs) A few months ago, we had... Dr. Jeff Donovan on, who spoke about the medical side of alopecia, and he spoke about different research and treatments that he's been discovering and exploring over the past few years. Today, we thought it'd be great to speak about our own personal experiences with treatments. Totally. And yeah, that was an amazing episode. And he provided with like us with so much information. And I think that was awesome for people to hear. But I think it's also great to like break it down a little bit and just talk about our own personal experiences. So what has worked for us and what hasn't. But I do think that if we're going to talk about that, it's really important that we make it very, very clear that we are not doctors. (laughs) Sarah and I are not medical professionals. And when we talk about these treatments, we're really just discussing it from our own perspective and our own experiences and what's worked for us and what hasn't. Yeah, I think it's really important that after you listen to this, don't go thinking, oh, I should do that or I should do that. But it might be good just to bring up different ideas with your medical professional. Go talk to your doctor about different treatments that might work for you. Um, like we, like Sarah said, certain things work for us that may not work for you and vice versa. So it's really good to go and get that medical perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. Like we said, this is just our personal stories that we want to share with you. And uh, we hope, you know, it's helpful and it gives you some information. But of course, not everything is the same for everybody. So absolutely. So Sarah, um, how about you start talking about your treatment journey over the last few years and, and what that's really been like for you? Absolutely. So I have tried a lot of different treatments. I've had alopecia for about 12 years. So over 12 years, you know, you try a bunch of different things and you have a ton of different experiences with them. So I'm going to just go over some of the things I've tried and what's worked for me and what hasn't. So the first thing, and it's kind of known as one of the, the first treatments for alopecia that a lot of people have tried. So that would be the steroid injections. Some people say steroid injections. Some people say cortisone injections. Um, for me, the one that I get is called Kenalog. That's the name of the brand. So Canalog is used for a variety of things. People can get an injection, you know, for if you have allergies, if you have arthritis, if you have skin conditions, all sorts of things. Basically, what this medication does is it is decreasing inflammation and also immune system activity. So it's lowering your immune system, um, which obviously works for a lot of autoimmune diseases like alopecia. So I've actually been doing these injections basically since my diagnosis, so like on and off over the years. So that's about 12 years. (laughs) That's a lot of needles, right? Yes. Yeah. So the way these injections work is they do inject them directly into your scalp. Um, So for me, they always put them right into where my bald spots are. So I'll get, you know, say I have a a bald spot that's the side of, of like a toonie, they might put like two or three injections into that spot. So I usually go about every eight weeks to my dermatologist, and that's where they give me the injections. And, you know, it's kind of a a wide scale of how many injections that I would get based on how severe my alopecia is. I mean, my alopecia is pretty mild right now. So I think last time I went, um, maybe about six weeks ago, I probably got maybe 10 
needles in my belt spots. Whereas I have gotten maybe like more like 40 or 50. Oh my gosh. That sounds like that could be a very painful experience. It's pretty painful. Um, I think I've kind of gotten used to it. And it also, the pain I find really varies based on like the sensitivity of your scalp. Like for me, the top of my head, like around my hairline, the top of my head, like it, it's not painful at all. Like I feel, I feel the prick, but it doesn't like, you know, make my eyes water. Like it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas around my hairline, like around my hairline on my forehead and then especially at the back of my neck can be really, really painful. And I find for me a consistent area where I always lose hair is the back of my neck. Like I always have a weird hairline at the back of my neck. No way. So funny. Um, I When I, I did the steroid injections for a very long time too, I always also found that the back of my neck and the back of my head was really painful as opposed to any other part when they injected it. Yeah, there must just be more nerves back there or something like that because that's always the spot where I like, you know, feel the most pain and kind of flinch a little bit. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it, very, it varies for sure. Um, so the steroid, when you get these injections, I think it's meant to kind of trigger hair growth in the area. So that's where you like, that's why you get them into your bald spots. And for me, pretty consistently, the Catalog injections have actually worked really, really well. Um, Usually when I get injections in a spot, by the next visit, I can see hair growth in that area. Either like feel some fuzz or I can see sort of some patchy growth around the spot. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So they do do work super, super well when my alopecia is um, just kind of patchy, like bald spots around my scalp. So along with the pain, these catalog injections can also leave kind of bumps and divots in your scalp. Did you ever experience that, Sarah? To be honest, I don't think I ever noticed that before. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm maybe because I'm a lifer and I've had so many of these freaking injections, I have noticed it. But yeah, they do kind of leave like little craters in your scalp where the injections have gone. However, don't fret because those do fill in. Like I used to have those all over my scalp and then I, I kind of got off the injections for a couple of years and all of them have filled in. So I don't really have any anymore. So like when you put your, just to clarify, when you put your like fingers over your scalp, you would feel the little divots? Not little divots, like more like a little, like a crate, like say like a loony sized crater on your mm-hmm. head. So you could feel like a tiny kind of like, you could feel it go down a little bit. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I I think there's a name for it. I don't know what it is, (laughs) but I did experience that pretty consistently over the years, but they've all filled in. And they told me that when I was getting them, like, yeah, you might have some some bumps and some divots now, but they will all fill in. And they were right because they actually did. Oh, cool. So like I said, these injections, they're very painful. They can, they can leave bumps in your head, but these have worked pretty consistently for me. So I have kept doing them over the years just because, like I said, usually pretty consistently within eight weeks of getting an injection, I can see that hair growth and I can feel that fuzz coming in. So these injections, they definitely don't work for everyone. I think if you have like universalis or or full hair loss in your head, like obviously you're not going to go in and get needles all over your entire scalp. But if you're someone like me who has sort of that patchy hair loss, that's maybe not as severe it, it has worked very, very well for me over the years. So, I mean, I keep going back to it. So I, I think it's it's been a pretty good treatment for me. That's good to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone's different. But for me, I, I'm, I'm a fan of these catalog injections. Cool. 
So after years and years and years of doing Kenalog injections, I did try some other things, mostly being immunosuppressant drugs. So instead of just getting something like injected into my scalp or applied on my scalp, actually like taking medication to try to try to kind of change my immune system, I guess. So there have been two that I've tried um, that are kind of a little bit similar, I think. And um, those are methotrexate and cyclosporin. So I was actually, I was prescribed the methotrexate for psoriasis, not for alopecia, but I know it is something that people with alopecia have taken before just because, again, it's an immunosuppressant. So you sometimes get prescribed it if you have, I guess, an autoimmune disease. And remind me, Sarah, you have psoriasis and alopecia areata. Did those kind of happen around the same time? Did you have psoriasis before the alopecia happened? Yeah, I've had psoriasis my whole life. Like I think maybe like started when I was like seven or eight. Mm -hmm. And my psoriasis used to be like super, super severe. Like when I was in um, high school, I had like my almost my entire body was covered. And I did the light therapy. So I went and like got light therapy three times a day or three, sorry, three times a week on my skin. Then I've applied all the creams and everything. Nothing ever has really worked. Like none of those treatments ever worked super, super well for my psoriasis. Um, so yeah, I was, I was originally prescribed that methotrexate at a time when my psoriasis was a lot more severe than my alopecia. So I was, I was taking it for that. Mm -hmm. So methotrexate is, it's like I said, it's an immunosuppressant drug. Um, it's often used in chemotherapy and with, uh, cancer patients because what it does is it is like slowing down your immune system, which would, which would slow down the growth of cancer cells. Hmm. Yeah. So, but it's also, I mean, obviously that would also apply like slowing down the immune system if you have an autoimmune disease. So I started by taking it in pill form. So I took four pills once a week and then I later on was taking it by injection. So I injected myself at home uh, once a week as well. Wow. That's uh, quite the story of injections, really. <laughs> Listen, me and needles, we're, we're cool. We're fine. <laughs> It's funny because when I was a kid, I was that kid that would like physically fight my doctor to not have to get my booster shot. You know, like I hated oh. needles so much. Yeah. And now I'm just like, well, you know, I kind of had to get used to it. It's like karma, right? Now you're a pro. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a needle getter pro now. Right. A lot of people say, oh, I'd faint or I, or people and people really do faint when they take needles and stuff. But uh, it's funny how many needles you go through during the kind of first phases of figuring out what your alopecia is and, and mm -hmm. going to your doctor. Cause I know that the, the steroid treatments anyway, tend to be one of the first treatments that, that doctors recommend. So yeah. Yeah. Needles all around. All the needles. Mm -hmm. so the other uh, immunosuppressant drug I took is cyclosporin. So it's uh, again, another immunosuppressant and it is used in organ transplants to keep the body from rejecting the organ because it is an immunosuppressant. So it slows down your ability to fight off whatever. Wow. So again, makes sense that it would be used with autoimmune diseases. Um, and, and the cyclosporin I also took in pill form. I think that one, it was a daily pill that I took. Hmm. Yeah. So both of these drugs can be also be prescribed to people with autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis, alopecia, psoriasis, all that kind of stuff. So even though I did try both of these, unfortunately, neither of them really worked for me. Um, I didn't really see a noticeable difference in either case. How long did you take both of those for? I think each one, it was the methotrexate. I think it was about 
four or five months on the pill form and then another four or five months on the injection form. Wow. And then cyclosporin was about six months. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, neither really worked for me. I didn't see a noticeable improvement or change really. And unfortunately, the methotrexate did come with a lot of unfortunate side effects. I just, the whole time I was on that medication, like I didn't feel good. I was really tired. I got headaches and I also had a lot of like colds and flus and like those kind of symptoms throughout. And I also experienced um, yeast infections. So all of these things kind of make sense when you think about the fact that it was lowering my immune system. So I just, I just didn't feel good. I was not, so not only did that not work for me, but also it didn't, it didn't make me feel good. So obviously side effects, you know, vary depending on the person who's taken it. But for me, I, if I could go back, I would not take that medication just because it didn't help. And it did make me feel kind of like garbage for almost a year. So not, not my favorite thing. The cyclosporin, not as much. I was mostly okay on that one. I didn't really have any, any bad side effects that I could, you know, report. Um, I did also have some stomach problems with the methotrexate. So that's why I changed to the injection because they thought that maybe taking it in the pill form, like then it's in your stomach. And, you know, if you're, if it's not making you feel well, that would be where that reaction would be happening. So hope, they mm-hmm. hoped that the injection would help, but it didn't, didn't really, I still didn't feel good. Yeah. So those are both options. And I think those are often ones that can be prescribed after the steroid injections. With both of them, I do know that they are both very inexpensive drugs. So if you, or maybe like earlier on in your treatment and you don't want to try the, the injections, that may be something they would prescribe to you. For me, I, I wasn't on health benefits both of the times that I tried those. And kind of the way it was presented to me was like, well, when you don't have benefits, these are kind of the only two that are like inexpensive that you can try. Like at that time, those were kind of the only other options I had that were, you know, affordable for me. Of course, that right. is life. Some people don't have health benefits. Some people can't afford you know, really expensive medications. And that was me at that time. So yeah, so I tried both of those. Didn't really have a lot of success. But I mean, the way the doctors kind of like positioned it to me as well is it's good to have have said like you have tried things. You know, sometimes when you want to do a clinical trial or you're trying to try um, like a more expensive medication, they want you to say that you have tried the least expensive um, methods. Right. You like say, you know, I have tried everything and it hasn't worked. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So that's, I think that was kind of part of why I tried those. So I kind of came out of trying those medications, like not feeling great about, you know, taking all these pharmaceuticals just because of the really bad side effects I'd had with the methotrexate. I, I did get a, a, a blood test done at my doctor's office after taking the methotrexate and I ended up with a pretty... Um, severe iron deficiency. I don't know if it's connected to the methotrexate or if it was just a dietary problem. I wasn't, you know, eating enough to have the right amount of iron. Um, But of course, we know that iron is connected to hair loss, right? A lot of people, when you're losing your hair, one of the first things they they test is whether you have enough iron in your body because iron is connected to like hair and nail growth, I guess. So that made me kind of start thinking about foods, like my, my diet. And whether there was changes I could make in my diet that might help my alopecia and my psoriasis. So because I was kind of feeling a little bit, you know, desperate, not great about my psoriasis and my alopecia, feeling like nothing was working, I had no options, I decided to go to a naturopath and try something kind of different. 
So I had heard of people who had been to naturopaths and had successes with things that they had going on. So I figured I would try it. And uh, the first thing that my naturopath recommended to me was a food sensitivity test. So there has been kind of some negative press around these tests these days. Like I did this maybe three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some some news outlets have kind of debunked them a little bit and said that the results aren't truly representative of the way that they're depicted to you. So um, I can only speak to my experience. But yeah, so for me, like I got that food sensitivity test done and it came back with like, you have a bunch of intolerances. Like there are a bunch of foods that are, you know, making you have inflammation. So of course it was like gluten and dairy and all that kind of stuff. So I figured, you know, why not try it? See how it goes. See if it helps me. So I did try doing a pretty strict gluten and dairy-free diet for about six to eight months. It didn't really do anything for me. Right. <laughs> And uh, I took a lot of supplements as well. Like I started taking iron and vitamin C and vitamin D and calcium and all these things. So basically I was just trying to make my body – like I thought that I could, you know, cut out all these bad foods and eat really healthy and take a lot of supplements and maybe I could just make my body healthier and it would help my alopecia and my psoriasis. Unfortunately, I didn't see any improvement at all in either my alopecia or my psoriasis. And I mean, you know – This girl loves her food and it was really hard. It was really hard to make those kind of strict diet changes Mm -hmm. and I did not enjoy it. Yeah. And it didn't really – it's tough, right? Yeah. It's tough to make any like big altering life changes, especially around your diet. I mean I'm a totally advocate for just eating healthy all around. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the sensitivities are tough especially. Yeah. I don't know. Like I don't really have – I can't really speak to those food tests and like I know they've worked for some people. I know some people say it's kind of, you know, maybe not great science, but I think it just it just depends on the person and what works for you. I mean, I'm sure there are health problems that can be helped a lot with with changing your diet. But just for me personally, that was not the case with my alopecia and my psoriasis. I mean, maybe if I'd done it longer – like I said, I kind of gave up after six to eight months because it was so hard to do the diet and it wasn't really making me happy. And yeah, it just it just was it just didn't work for me. So I I didn't I didn't really keep doing that for a long time. I did keep taking some supplements though. Like I don't think there's anything wrong with taking you know vitamin C, vitamin D, calcium, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think it's also super important to just kind of point out that like treatments are a very personal decision right? Mm -hmm. Everybody goes through different treatments. Some people decide that they don't want to go through treatments because they don't want to deal with side effects. They don't want to deal with, you know, putting different things in their body than than they would naturally or or regularly do. So Mm -hmm. everybody is is can do their own thing and make their own decisions, obviously, with a doctor's recommendation, but um, and doctor's guidance. But, you know, don't necessarily uh, I'm talking to like everybody here but don't necessarily feel like you need to go through everything or you need to not do anything it's really up to everybody's own personal opinion of course yeah it has everything to do with like where you are in your life at that point right like even where I am now compared to where I was back 
then when I was doing all of those diet changes and everything, like I'm way more kind of at peace with my alopecia and my psoriasis now than I was back then. Like back then I was in the stage of like, oh, I wanted to try anything. You know, I felt like I needed to try whatever I could to, to make it better just because it was, it was so hard. It did take tolls on my emotional and mental health. So for me, like I was in that position where I wanted to try things. Mm-hmm. Maybe for another person, like changing your diet, like wouldn't really be a big deal and they could stick to it way better than I did. But for me, like, I guess, I don't know, in my mind, like my, what I was eating was tied a lot to like how ha- happy I felt and, and, and just like, you know, wanting to eat those things, those foods that made me happy. So it was really hard to do the gluten and dairy free thing. So it just didn't, didn't work out for me, but maybe for a different person, it would. Yeah, for sure. I wanted to mention also another supplement that I did take that I know some people have talked about for um, alopecia. It's called biotin. Mm. Biotin, I, as far as I know, it's uh, connected to the health of your hair and your nails. So I think a lot of people who have alopecia would try taking it just because of, you know, obviously connection to having healthy, stronger hair. Um, I did take that. I mean, it didn't really, I don't, I can't really speak to whether it helped or not, but I did try taking it and that could be an option for someone if you're, you know, looking for supplements and things like that, that you want to take that could help your alopecia. So after the diet change, so this kind of leads me to sort of my penultimate treatment that I have tried. That is the one that I get the most questions about and that everyone kind of wants to talk about and is is very much sort of topical and in the news right now for people with alopecia. So that is the JAK inhibitor. So the JAK, it's J-A-K inhibitor. So JAK stands for, I'm not going to say this right, Janus kinase inhibitor. So Janus kinase I'm probably am I how how much am I butchering yeah, that? Probably pretty bad. I've got it. <laughs> okay, so Janus kinase is a family of enzymes. So uh, it is connected to like your immune system, I guess. Like I'm this is like really really bad science. I don't understand this. I'm going to just say it how I understand it and then if I'm extremely wrong Sorry. <laughs> as far as I know, what a JAK inhibitor does is it inhibits this, this, the activity of this family of enzymes, which then leads to blocking an immune pathway that can cause autoimmune diseases like alopecia. Hmm. Yeah. So JAK inhibitors are already on the market for use in some treatments, um, like in the treatment of cancer and also some other inflammatory diseases like, like rheumatoid arthritis. Like I know there is one that is on the market right now that you can get for rheumatoid arthritis. Right. The name of the drug is tofacitinib and it's sold under the brand uh, Xeljans, I think, Xeljans. So yeah, it is on the market now. Um, it is not on the market right now just for purchase uh, for people with alopecia. But what we are seeing is a lot of clinical trials that are popping up for JAK inhibitors for uh, other treatments. So I was at kind of the worst stage of hair loss I had ever experienced when I was accepted into a clinical trial for a JAK inhibitor. So at that time, I had about, I think, 75% hair loss. So I had very little hair left. Um, I was wearing hats and I was wearing a wig. And for this clinical trial, so I had always, I have a really good relationship with my dermatologists and my nurse, and I've been going there like since I was 15, the same dermatologist the whole time. 
So they were seeing that my alopecia was kind of escalating a lot, and they they knew that I would be a good a good candidate for a clinical trial if one did come up. So I got really lucky in that I was accepted to this clinical trial for a JAK inhibitor in uh, early 2017, so about over two years ago. Uh, when I was accepted, there was a requirement of uh, 50% hair loss. So if you had, you know, kind of less severe alopecia, you didn't really qualify because my alopecia was severe at that time, I did. In order to qualify, I had to just kind of do a bunch of, you know, various tests and blood tests and all these kind of things. And um, I did qualify. So what I had to do basically was take four pills a day in the mornings uh, for six months. These pills needed to be refrigerated. And then throughout kind of the six months of being in the trial, I got, I cannot emphasize this to you enough, a lot of tests done. There was a lot of doctor's appointments. I think I had to go maybe every like two weeks. Wow. So I, and each time I went, it was like, it could be like three or four hours. And sometimes I would have to like take my medication and then they would like take my blood like an hour after I took my medication and stuff like that. Like it was, I spent a lot of time at the doctors, (laughs) but that is kind of the reality of being in a clinical trial, I guess, you know, you do have to kind of, you're a subject, they're studying you. So you are going to have to do a lot of tests and things like that. Mm -hmm. I, I had to do like blood work. I had to get EKGs done. So I think that's like a heart a heart test or something like that, hook yep. up to all these machines. Yeah. And then also scalp biopsies. So this is something that might not be for everyone. So a scalp biopsy is they actually take a piece of your scalp, they cut it out, and then they study it. So it's kind of just like a very, very minor, small surgery. Um, they would sort of use this thing that looked like a single hole punch and like punch a piece of my scalp out, put in a couple stitches. Um, within a couple weeks, it would be better. Uh, they did do freezing in the area when they did it, so I didn't feel all the pain. But, of course, it was, you know, a little bit of pain, a little bit of pain after it was done, kind of healing. Um, and I did have to get quite a few of those done, maybe four or six, six of them. But the moral of the story is that within about eight weeks of starting my JAK inhibitor medication, I started having regrowth on almost all of my bald spots. Wow. Like imagine 75% hair loss and within eight weeks you're seeing fuzz like over your entire head. That's insane. Like I couldn't believe it. It didn't really seem real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I did have – yeah, I had 100% regrowth. And then by the end of my six months, I had almost a full head of hair. So the JAG inhibitor worked extremely, extremely well for me. So obviously this may not be the case for everyone. But for me, I did have you know really, really good regrowth. And it was a very positive experience. After my six months had ended, I went off the drug for eight weeks. And um, unfortunately, at the end of that eight weeks, I did start losing my hair again. But then I requalified for an extension in the trial. So I went back in the trial. And it is important to note that in this trial, there was a chance that I could get a placebo. So you either were getting like there was three different doses. It was like the full dose, the smaller dose, or the placebo. And I obviously had a dose um, the first time I did it. And then when I requalified, I actually ended up on the placebo for about eight weeks. But when I was on the placebo, I didn't experience any hair growth. So that shows you that kind of my hair growth wasn't just like mental, right? It wasn't a placebo effect. It actually was the medication working. Because then when I got back off, off the placebo and then back into the trial again with the actual drug, my hair grew back again. Right. So it worked for me twice, which is pretty incredible 
for, you know, someone who like, I think that that was so like three or four years ago. So I'd had alopecia for let's say eight years and nothing had ever like worked in that way. So it, it felt like a bit of a miracle drug for me. <laughs> when I went into this trial, like I said, my alopecia was like the worst it had ever been in my life. And I mean, it was a very positive experience to have my hair grow back. I ended up having the drug for about 12 months total. Mm-hmm. And again, both both times when I went off the drug, I did experience hair loss again. So, I mean, it's not a miracle drug. It's not going to cure you. But so I did experience hair loss when I went off the drug. However, um, the shedding kind of started pretty intense, but then it leveled off. So both times the hair loss wasn't as bad as it had been when I started the drug. Right. So now I'm at the point where I've been I've been off this medication for like I don't know two years a year and a half, right. and um, my alopecia has really really leveled off since then. Like I still I still do get spots like I have some pretty annoying spots along my scalp right now and along my hairline, but nothing is kind of comparable to where my alopecia was when I started that clinical trial. Like you know. Two, three years ago. Wow. That, but that's such a good story to hear that the JAK inhibitor was indeed successful for you. I know a lot of people are looking into it and asking a lot of questions about it. So it's nice to hear a story, a positive story about it. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, like with any treatment, like these aren't going to work for everybody. And I also totally understand that for some people, perhaps the process of growing your hair back and then having that hope and then having it fall out again would be like, really stressful. And also I understand that some people might not want to be on a medication that they know they would have to be on their entire life. Right. Right. Because that's kind of what we're looking at with this jack inhibitor. Like it's not going to work when you stop taking it. Right. So that that's that's a really hard concept for some people. Um, like I said, for me, it was worth it. I'm really happy I did that clinical trial. I didn't sign up for that trial hoping to cure my alopecia. Like you don't do a clinical trial to help yourself. You do it because you're trying to advance the research and you're trying to make a medication available for people in mm-hmm. here. Like I was doing this because I wanted to, I don't know, help the alopecia community, I guess. And if it hadn't worked for me, like that would have been okay. I would have still done it. Um, I know some people like may have started that trial and then as soon as they saw it wasn't working for them, dropped out. But for me, it was like I was sticking through it. And I got really, really lucky that I ended up on the drug and I had such a success with it. So for me, positive experience. I'm really, really excited about the JAK inhibitor. I know it's not for everybody, but for me, the fact that there is potentially a medication out there that can help this disease that has been like such a mystery and the treatment has been such a mystery, like that's a very positive thing. That's great to hear. It's really, like I said, great to hear a positive story. I'm excited to hear anybody else who has stories around jack inhibitor feel free to reach out and you know whether it did work for you or it did it didn't we'd love to hear the different uh, experiences yeah the only other thing I, I just realized i didn't mention so side effects so i didn't have any side effects there can be side effects of course anytime you're taking an immunosuppressant i mean i'm sure it can do all sorts of things to your body for me i didn't have any so that could just be me i'm not sure but i didn't have any like things like i had experienced before like headaches and cough cold symptoms gastrointestinal stuff. I hadn't experienced any of that. So right. positive experience all around for me. So I was very lucky for sure. Amazing. I'm glad that you found something in the end that worked after the all of the different types of treatments that you that you went through. Totally. Yeah. Very positive. So Sarah, yeah. let's hear about your treatment journey. Yeah. Is, it, is it as much of a roller coaster as mine? 
<laughs> I don't know if it was as much of a, it was a roller coaster, but it definitely didn't have as many parts to it. I didn't go through as many different types of treatments as you did. Um, yeah, so I didn't do as many treatments as you did, but uh, I did go through two different phases of alopecia. So um, when I was 11, all my hair, uh, not well, I, I think at the max, I was at 80% hair loss. And then again, years later, when I was 24, I started re-experiencing my alopecia again. So I'll kind of go through what I had experienced in those time frames. So as Sarah, like Sarah, as you're saying, I also experienced a lot of the steroid injections. I didn't take them as consistently, I think, as you did. Um, I did ha- go every few months, but uh, after a few injections here and there, I remember once I went and I got like 30 injections at one time, and that was really painful for me. I decided that it wasn't the kind of treatment that I wanted to go through. For me, it was really painful. I'd get a lot of scabs and blood and I was itchy at the time. So I just decided that that wasn't for me. We also realized after a few um, different episodes of trying it that it just wasn't as successful for me as um, something else that I tried a little bit later. But I also did a lot of the steroid creams. Okay. So some of those, uh, I don't actually know the names of the creams. This was a long time ago when I had first started taking them. But uh, we tried different cortisone creams um, for different months at a time. Once again, they weren't as successful for me as they are for other people. I did have spots of alopecia at the time. So it was alopecia areata. I was seeing around 60 to 70% hair loss when these, when these, um, treatments were being shown to me. And like I said, unfortunately, after a few months, we decided that it wasn't kind of the right treatment for me. Of course. And like, that's your decision to make. Like I'm, I'm almost happy to hear that we both had different experiences with the the injections because that shows you and for all of our listeners that like, hey, different things work for different people. You know, just because it works for one person doesn't mean it's the right treatment for everybody with alopecia. So, you know, for me, it was a positive experience for you, not so much. And that's okay. It's our personal choices, right? Yeah, for sure. So it was around that time that I started seeing a different dermatologist. I had been going to various different clinics and seeing dermatologists there. And finally, I landed at Sunnybrook Hospital in Toronto, Ontario, where um, they were undergoing a DPCP treatment. So DPCP stands for, now talking about hard to say words, let me try and get this one right, diphenylcyclopropanone. Listen, that sounded right to me. Diphenylcyclopropanone. There you go. <laughs> say, yeah, for sure. Sounds good. DPC for, for short. So we'll stick with that. Okay. But so essentially, it's a chemical that's applied to the scalp in order to treat hair loss that is due to alopecia areata. So it's a liquid treatment, like I said, that's applied on the scalp on a weekly basis. And what it's supposed to do is cause a mild allergic reaction on the skin of your scalp. Okay, so the doctor described it to me as being similar to poison ivy. Essentially, you want to cause a bit of an allergic reaction so that your immune system and your white blood cells can go and attack that and leave your hair follicles to grow. 
So it's kind of an interesting way to think about treatments. Some of the treatments are around like the suppression and some some treatments are around other things. But I found that this one for me was just a, a very different type of treatment that I had never um, experienced before. So um, we started this at Sunnybrook Hospital and I was admitted to this DBCP trial when I was about 11 years old. And every single week I would go to the hospital and a clinician would apply the liquid on my scalp. They would wear gloves. They would have like a, um, a cotton ball and attached to that cotton ball. It was a big Q-tip and they would apply the liquid to the cotton ball, put it on the, put it on my scalp and rub it on a bit and put it everywhere where I was experiencing hair loss. Like I said, at this point in time, I was seeing about 80% hair loss. So I did only have patches of hair remaining. They would go and put it all over my scalp. And so you talk about this being like an allergic reaction. So how did this feel when you put it on your scalp? Like, did you experience any like hives or anything like that? Yeah. So sometimes I would feel itchy. Other times I would not. The way that it works is that we start with a low dosage, a very, very low dosage of the DPCP. And so what happens is that when they apply it to your skin, um, sometimes you feel itchy at the time that they're applying it and you feel tingly and whatnot, or, or, or sometimes it can be a little bit more of a, of a burning sensation. That means that it's too high, the dosage, right? Then if it is too high, the week that you go back, they'll go and put a lower dosage. But if you're not experiencing any sort of irritation, then they will go higher. So they just want to react, make your body react a little bit, but not too much. So I know that a lot of people kind of are worried that because they've heard stories about blisters or they have experienced blisters, that just means that you're putting on too high of a dosage and you need to go lower, right? So yeah, it is unfortunate when that happens um, because blisters are painful, especially on your head, especially if you're wearing a wig on top of that or you have a hat or something. It's definitely not something that you want to experience, but it can be a side effect if the dosage is too high. In positive light, that does mean that you are reacting to the DPCP. So you know that the the treatment does work for you. So that's great. Great to uh, know that even though, you know, the blisters are bad, it does mean that you can go lower and there are other options. So you don't have to experience that on a weekly basis. I think, yeah, and I think the way that they describe it as like poison ivy in a bottle, like it makes it sound super, super scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's nice to hear that you, so from someone who has actually been through it, what your experience was and that, you know, just because you're on it doesn't mean that you're going to have blisters and poison ivy all over your scalp. For sure. I mean, like the first few times, I don't think I even felt anything and we had to go up, up before I even started feeling a little bit itchy on my scalp. And then so I got it on. I went to Sunnybrook like every morning at 5 a.m. because then I'd have to go to school after. So it was a long Monday morning for me. But we got put it on in the morning and then I'd go throughout my day. I found that when I did experience a reaction, it tended to for me to be when I was sweating a little bit more. So if okay. I went out, um, gone to the gym or was running around and, and I started to feel my head sweaty, that's when I would feel a lot of the itchiness or, or a mild burning sensation happen. And then before I went to bed, you'd have to go for a shower and just wash off any residual um, DPCP that's left over on your scalp. It does kind of dissolve into your scalp, but you you know you don't want to go to bed with the treatment on. Just take a shower and uh, remove anything that's left on. That sounds sounds okay. 
yeah, it wasn't it wasn't particularly bad. I did experience itchiness and, you know, sometimes that is uncomfortable. But for me, the, my mental state at this point was, well, if it's itchy, it means it's working. So that was never kind of a bad side effect for me. And it was never so itchy that I couldn't control it. It was itchy. Sometimes I'd put some ice on it. Sometimes I'd put a cold compress and then it would just feel better. If it was really bad and I found that like I would start to feel blisters growing maybe mm-hmm. two hours after putting on the dosage. I would just go and shower and, and remove the the DPC that was left on and maybe take a break after doing that. So you'd take it on a weekly basis. Maybe I just wouldn't put it on the week after and let my scalp breathe for a two-week period before going back to the dosage. And that's totally okay too. Totally. So Tell me how this worked. So what was the, did you, did you see an improvement from taking this? Yeah. So this is again, like I said, I was younger when I did this the very first time. And after, I want to say it was between a year and a half and two years, I was starting to see like growth around most of my bald spots. So it was really great to see that. And after, I want to say it was like three years of doing the DPCP, I had complete regrowth. It was phenomenal. Wow. Hair completely came back. At that point, we moved from a weekly dosage to a monthly dosage and then later to a quarterly dosage. And then I kind of just stopped using the DPC because my hair had completely grown back, which was amazing. And so my hair grow, grew back fully, I believe, when I was 16, 17. It was, it was quite a, a long experience for me. I, I only started doing the DPC, I think, not when I was 11. I start, had the alopecia when I was 11. We did all these different treatments, the cortisone shots for a few years. And then when I was 14 or 15, I started the DPC. So from 14 or 15 to 17, I my hair completely grew back, which was, which was a great experience for me. So DPC, two thumbs up for me. Didn't experience too many blisters, didn't experience too much itchiness. But like I said, there is going to be that mild, uncomfortable aspect to it. It's just kind of what you're okay putting up with when you're doing these treatments. Of course. Yeah. I mean, that's, I'm, that's an amazing uh, result for you though. Like I'm really happy that you experienced that. Absolutely. And I kept my hair for between the ages of 17 and 24. I had no alopecia at all. Right. So it came back and it also lasted for you. Exactly. It lasted for a period of years, which was something that does not happen to everybody. So I was very lucky and and very grateful for that experience. It was funny. I think during that time period, I also kind of felt like I didn't have alopecia anymore. And it was in the in the past, you know, obviously alopecia never goes away, but it's quieted at this time and my hair has grown back. When it was re-triggered though, that's when I started to to experience the the shedding again. I started with a bald spot at the back of my head when I went to the dermatologist the second time. So now I'm 24. We did try the cortisone shots again. And we found that those didn't work. So I said, you know what? DPC worked for me last time. Let's try it again. So at this point in time, I was looking around all over Toronto, Ontario. That's where I live for the DPC. And it was really hard for me to find a doctor in Toronto who would administer it. For various reasons, there's there's different hospitals that don't do it anymore, or there's clinics that do provide it, but they have month-long waiting lists. 
I ended up finding that one of the doctors that I saw back when I was younger had moved to Vancouver, BC. And funnily enough, this was Dr. Jeff Donovan. Friend of the show, Dr. Jeff Donovan. A friend of the show. So I ended up giving his office a call. He usually has quite a few month waiting lists, but uh, somebody canceled last minute. And then I ended up getting an appointment out there a few weeks later. So in August of 2018, I went to go see Dr. Donovan again, and he prescribed me with different dosages of the medication. So he kind of gave me this big booklet, and then I came back to Toronto, and I took this booklet back to Sunnybrook Hospital, and this booklet was the prescription, and they gave me the dosages And they would give me the liquid in a container. They would give it to me in an ice pack. I'd bring it home and then my dad would come and he would apply it the same way that the clinician used to apply it. So he would wear a mask because it is quite a potent drug. He would wear gloves. It's a special type of gloves that you have to wear when you're doing the DPC. I forget what it's called, but I can definitely find out if anybody has any questions about it. He'd wear these gloves and then he'd do the Q-tip thing where he put a Q-tip, but it was a longer Q-tip, put a cotton ball at the end, tie the cotton ball around the Q-tip, empty or put some of the liquid onto the cotton ball and then dab it onto my head. My dad could do this as an at-home treatment, which definitely helped me at this point in time. This was 20, August 2018 when I started. It is now November 2019, and I have seen, well, let me take a step back. When I did put it on, I was at 75 to 80% hair loss in August of 2018. And now, almost a year or a year and a half-ish later, I am only seeing 40 to 45% of hair loss. Wow, that's amazing. So it's working for you again. It is working for me all over again. Quite a bit of hair is coming back. It is a slow regrowth, but Mm -hmm. it's amazing to see that all of, you know, the patches of my scalp that didn't have hair now have fuzz on it. It is growing back. So I'm still shaving my head pretty frequently, but I leave the stubble. And every time you shave it, you can just see more and more hair come back, which is really, really exciting to see. That is so amazing. I'm so excited for you. Thank you very much. So I do expect to be using this this treatment for a longer period of time. Probably at least for the next six months, I, I won't experience full regrowth. But hopefully when that happens, I think I'm still going to use the DPC, maybe on more of like a monthly or twice every maybe four months or so Mm -hmm. to put it on again and just to let my head remember that there is this this what what do we call it like a poison ivy kind of around my scalp and not let the my body forget that that's there so it'll let my hair follicles grow and it will intermittently go and attack something else so that my hair follicles can grow which is very exciting that's so awesome I know for you for me like because alopecia is so unpredictable, you can become super like pessimistic about treatments, right? So like sometimes Mm -hmm. even when something works, you're like, well, maybe it's not really working. Maybe it's just whatever. So when something works twice like that, it's such a hopeful feeling, right? Because you're like, wow, I may have actually found something that is working for me. Yeah. And I think that that is a very exciting, like you said, experience. It is kind of rare. I, I found that a lot of people don't really find something that works two times. It'll work the first time and then it won't really work again. So I'm very, very grateful that this DPC treatment has worked for me. Once again, I've never really experienced like awful side effects. When I do put it on on the Monday mornings, I tend to be 
uh, or actually, sorry, now I put them on, put the DPC on Sunday and I'll let my hair kind of breathe. I won't really wear my wig too much that day. And then I'll shower at night, get the DPC off. Monday, I tend to find that my head is a little bit tender. So just brushing my wig on my scalp tends to hurt a little bit. So I'll just be a little bit more gentle around my scalp. But otherwise, no side effects, which is great. I've experienced blisters once, but that was because we did an increase in dosage and that was clearly too high for me. So we went back down the week after and the blistering totally went away. So it's been a bit of a trial and error for you, right? Kind of finding out that dosage that is right for you. Yeah, and I, and I recommend that if people are trying this, it you require a lot of patience. Like it is going to take time. It's not something that happens immediately. And it's not something that you should give up on right away. So definitely bring your patience if you're using the DPCP. Amazing, of course. Well, thank you so much for all that information. And I think that's a drug that is kind of, I'll say a little bit controversial in the alopecia community. I think people have a lot of opinions about it and mm-hmm. what works and what doesn't work. So it's nice to hear from someone who has actually tried it that you did have a positive experience. Obviously not for everyone, but it is it is nice to hear that it has actually worked for you. Yeah, for sure. Amazing. So this was a lot of information for everyone listening. And we just would you want to end again with saying that Different treatments are going to work differently for every person. Absolutely. Sarah squared here. We're only really speaking about our own personal experiences with these treatments. We cannot say that they're going to work for you or not work for you. If you don't want to try them, that is totally fine. We're not saying that you need to. We're just speaking about the journeys that we have been on and what we have experienced. Absolutely. I think the most important thing is that you need to go to your doctor and and get their recommendations and talk to your doctor about different treatments because they're the person to who will be able to answer all of your questions. Of course. And also, if you don't want to do treatments, that is okay too. It is totally up to you how you feel in your life and what you want to try for your alopecia. Mm-hmm. It's totally understandable if you don't want to kind of put your body through different treatments because, you know, at the end of the day, it is a bit of a roller coaster ride. There's ups, there's downs. Sometimes your body reacts badly. Sometimes it reacts well. And a lot of people don't necessarily want to take that risk. And that's totally up to them. And that's totally okay as well. Of course. Yeah. Some people are just totally cool with, you know, their alopecia, how it is. And kudos to you. You are awesome. Again, treatments, it's a personal choice. Awesome. So we have a little piece of news just at the end of our episode. We want to announce that this is going to be our last episode of the second season. We're going to be taking a couple of months off the podcast just to kind of regroup. Sarah has a lot of wedding planning to do and <laughs> busy with work. So we'll be back in the new year with more conversations about alopecia with the different guests on the show. We'll have some more episodes where it's just the two of us talking. But stay tuned. Thank you for listening. And thank you to everybody who's followed us through the season, throughout this journey. We can't wait to see you in the new year. Yeah, we love you guys so much. We appreciate all of your support. Thank you so much for following us on social media, for listening, for emailing us. It's awesome. Thank you so much. And we look forward to being back in the new year. See ya. Thanks. Bye.